Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Record. What's good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dentist Who Invest podcast. We are super privileged today to be joined by Shabar Kassam, who is here to talk about something a little bit more ethereal than we normally talk about. We're usually very matter of fact, nuts and bolts, the mechanics of investing. But today we want to talk about the philosophy of investing and the mindset one must have to be a successful investor in the long run. Shabar, how are you? I'm very good, James. Thank you very much for having me on. And um, as it's a kind of a, a, a co-episode, I'm also going to be sharing this with my audience on the Understanding Financial Freedom podcast. So welcome to the listeners there. But yeah, super excited to to, to be on. Um, I've been sort of checking out the Facebook group and all of the good stuff that you're doing. And there's a real buzz around dentists that want to know more about investing uh, and all of that jazz. So yeah, so this should be quite fun. Thanks, man. No, definitely. I can see this being a value-packed episode. And like I say, I'm really interested to hear this slant on investing because it is something that as yet we have not discussed. So, and yes, also shout out to your listeners as well, Shavar. Shout out to me, James, the host of Dentist Who Invest podcast. And yeah, this will be a good one. This will be one I've been looking forward to for a while. So Shavar, would it be okay with you if you did a little bit of an introduction from my listeners on the Dentist Who Invest podcast so they can get to know you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said, um, I'm a financial advisor, um, set up Lumos Financial. Uh, towards the end of 2020, um, just decided that after being in financial services for sort of 15 years, uh, an independent financial advisor since 2012, but always under someone else's brand, um, it was time to... Um, take the plunge and uh, have my own name above the door. So yeah, there was, uh, I've had, I've had enough of doing it someone else's way. And it was like, right now it's time to do it my way and um, bring my values and my philosophy to the world of financial planning and investing and um, helping clients. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that's what I did. And, and we focus primarily on helping sort of business owners and individuals approaching retirement generally have more peace of mind and clarity over their financial future. So I guess that encapsulates, you know, finding out what they want, the lifestyle that they desire, and then helping them get it. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been pretty good uh, and successful with helping those types of people along the way. This is it. And this is why I was looking forward to having you on the podcast, Shabar, because like I say, what is often overlooked in the mindset of an investor is just how important it is to have your right, the right psychological stance and viewpoint and how that is actually fundamentally and inextricably linked to becoming financially free, financially independent in the long run. And I'll just share a little analogy on that one to illustrate its power. We were talking about this just before we jumped on the air, just off camera. For anybody who hasn't heard this, this is an interesting way of looking at money. And this is why mindset is so important. And Shabar is going to flesh this out in more detail in just a moment. 
My analogy would be there's always the Joneses to keep up with. And no matter how wealthy you are, you can always find somebody to be competitive with and spend your money on. So therefore, you must, you must, 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 you must be restrained. You must illustrate yourself to be someone who has restraint because you can only keep up with people there's always going to be the next successive person to keep up with in terms of spending your wealth. So let me just flesh that out. So let's say you live next door to the Joneses and let's say the Joneses get a cool car and you want to get a cool car as well. So you're going to spend a little bit more money to get that cool car. Okay. But what happens when you transcend, transcend the financial means of your next door neighbors? There's always going to be the even wealthier neighbors down the street and they're going to have a Lambo. Okay. So by the time you get a Lambo, you're going to be keeping up with them. You're going to be wanting to do that to keep up with them. But let's say you're very fortunate in life and you become very wealthy. Then if you can afford a better car than a Lambo, you're, always, you're going to be trying to keep up with someone like Jeff Bezos and he'll have a super yacht. And then therefore you're continually playing that game. As soon as you enter into the world of being somebody who wants to keep up with the Joneses, keep up with the next door neighbor, you can never ever win because there's always a black hole. There's always something else that you can spend your money on. And this is why showing restraint and this is why educating yourself on these psychological phenomenons are so important for your long-term financial success. And on that note, I wanted to ask Shabar, how much money is enough money? And at what point do we begin to save so that we don't fall into the hedonic treadmill as you put it off camera, which is the term for what I've just described? So that we don't fall into that psychological pitfall and then therefore can begin to save prudently for our long-term financial goals. How much money is enough money? How is your perspective on that matter? How does that color your investments? Yeah, I mean, look, this is where it all starts, right? This is just, you know, uh, base camp. You know, we <laughs> you can't, you know... We speak to a lot of people in the line of work that we do um, where it's, you know, yeah, need to need to make more money, you know, need to get a return, need to invest. What's the quickest way? What's the best way? What's the most foolproof way? You know, what's the new way? What's and there's always there's always quite a burning desire to to get more. Right. And like, you know, like you said, you know, if the goal is to get more, that's not a goal. Okay, um, and so the the idea of what what I try and do with clients is to find out well how much is enough. Now enough is different to different people. Okay, and there's no judgment because only an individual can really say how much is enough. But I feel that it's very very linked to the values that an individual holds, and and the reason why I say that is because. When we look at money, what is money? Okay, money is just a tool. Um, people confuse money with a with a lot of things that it actually isn't. You know, um, you know, back in the you know back in you know centuries ago when th- there wasn't money, me and you would have traded our respective goods and, and services that we provide in order to you know have a living. So you know, if you, if you, you know you fixed teeth and I provided sort of advice around around finances or whatever it would be well there wasn't even any money so let's say I was a shoemaker you know we would exchange you know you check my teeth and I would provide you with a pair of shoes right so there was never this real you know there was never this real thing of like more and more money right so 
it, it comes down to the consumption levels that we want, the lifestyle that we want. And that could be a bottomless pit, as you as you say. So it's only when we really explore who we are, what's important to us and what values we hold, can we even start to answer the question of how much is enough? Because if I want to be in a situation where I can help not only my family have a good lifestyle and I've got to define good, you know, so good for different people will mean different things, but it could be that actually what's really at my core is helping people that are less fortunate and that's going to require a certain amount of money. So actually, you know, enough starts to move depending on what I want to do with, with my life. Um, but acquiring money just for the sake of acquiring money, because you want greater consumption because you're chasing some sort of happiness that's where you you know you, you're going on to the hedonic treadmill because you believe that your happiness your validation lies in the consumption of more and as we know human beings we're incredibly greedy creatures um and that goes back down you know to to our sort of primal instincts which has always been that you know you've got to hunt and gather and stock up because you don't know when your next meal's going to come um, and we're still kind of in that mentality at the moment because our brains haven't evolved because we've got an abundance around us. So we actually don't need to hoard. Um, so there's that one aspect of the fact that the human being is kind of programmed to be greedy um, because otherwise you'd starve and die. And that wouldn't be good for the you know progression of the of, of the race. But also another thing that you mentioned, which was, you know, which was this keeping up with the Joneses. Um, that also has its sort of history in in man's sort of like tribal days, because if you didn't keep up with the tribe, if you weren't accepted by the tribe and you became an outcast, you would again then be in very serious danger of potentially dying because you wouldn't get, you know, if you weren't of a certain social status within, within that tribe, you could be left out, you know, the opportunities to progress and provide for you and your family would be diminished because you didn't have that social status. And we kind of suffer from that as well, which is what you were referring to with, with the car and keeping up with the Joneses, because if we don't, maybe we're less than, maybe we get excluded. And if we get excluded, that's detrimental to the progression for, for us um, within society. And, and so it all comes down to these core needs, which we haven't just quite figured out that, you know, actually there isn't a lot of happiness in just going after the next shiny thing because it's actually really damaging both from, you know, a psychological perspective of always wanting more, but financially we're never going to reach a point where we've got financial freedom or financial independence because, you know, we're splashing out and continuously spending money. And there's a very, you know, there's a a very good saying is, you know, you know, what's the difference between being rich and, and, and wealthy, right? So, you know, you could earn, 250 grand a year and you think that you're wealthy but actually you're you're rich if you spend all of that money because all it is is you know money coming in money going out you're not building wealth um but you know true wealth is the ability to have time to do what you want when you want because you've got income that's passive right that's true wealth so yeah that's you know that's a, a long answer to to a very deep and and, and an important question. It's great though, because now you've pointed out that that's actually a manifestation of our deep set reptilian part of our brain. 
Okay, but now we're so much better. We're homo sapiens. We've got a prefrontal cortex. Now we can rationalize these thoughts. And when we can see it in ourselves, that is so powerful. The values that you spoke about as part of your as part of your journey with the client, is that something that you go into, that you ascertain? What are those values? Yeah, so uh, again, you know, an initial sort of meeting or, or chat with a client is very much around, you know, what's important to them. Because until you know what's important to them, you know, a client may come with a an investment problem. You know, I don't understand a pension or I don't know what ISA to, you know, fund to invest in. Or it could be about crypto or, or you know, all of the, the, the new stuff that's around and, and people are sort of, yeah, you know, am I, you know, missing out on something, et cetera. Whatever the question is, that's not what they're really after. You know, underneath is a question of am I going to be okay? You know, because that's what's really bothering someone. Am I going to have enough? That's why the pension problem is a problem. It's because people don't know if they've got enough. You know, what does this pot represent? You know, can I get better returns? Because obviously people are concerned about, you know, whether they're going to be able to afford stuff in the future. So if you just dive in and solve that problem, you're not addressing the deeper problem, which is their insecurity or the fear or the worry. And that's linked quite often to their values. So you've got to uncover them. And the way we do that is just, you know, by asking sort of really important questions. Um that will help someone to to basically engage their heart more and sort of disengage maybe their you know that reptilian brain um so yeah it's uh it's all about questioning and having a, a deeper understanding of the individual and we've got sort of certain questions that we can ask to help that like a coach would and what you're also saying is when you don't have objectives it can be self-sabotaging and by the pure, unadulterated obsession of chasing money in itself, if we even know that that might have the pseudo appearance of somebody who is driven and will therefore be financial, financially successful, that actually may not be the case until you have some cold, hard, cemented objectives and points that you can reach so that therefore you can know that you're on track. And also, so you don't get carried away with your spending, that's also your point as well, which is great, which is great to hear. And that will no doubt resonate with lots of people. And I can see that in myself at lots of points during my life. Why else is it important to have direction? Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, it, it it's so important because just like on any journey, right? If you don't if you don't know where you're headed, you're often going to get lost and sidetracked. And that and that's in sort of many, many areas. Um, and it's really important 
to have that sort of sense of it's not going to be perfect right because the landscape changes and, and things change but especially when you're investing you've got to have a goal that you want to achieve because how are you going to assess that you're getting nearer that goal or if you're further away are you on track or you're off track so it's really important once for example you know values are defined what's the lifestyle that you want ultimately that's a lot of it coming down to the lifestyle that a certain, an individual wants for them or their family. And that could be, you know, different things to different people. But once you've got that, and that could be a numerical that I need to spend, you know, 50 grand a year in, you know, passively, or it could be that I need to put the kids through university and then I need to take care of my parents. And then I need to give, you know, so much to charity because that's going to be aligned to my values. Once you've got all of that there, you can then know that you're on that path to hitting those goals and you're able to assess, you know, how far or how near to them you are. And it's nice to have a finish line because generally we're in a rat race, aren't we? And I don't know about you, but I'm trying to exit the rat race as, as fast as possible. You know, that's and then that will allow me the opportunity to do the things that I truly love doing. Work is one of them. But obviously, my, 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 my time and focus is more on my work, like the majority of us you know, at, at the moment. And it would be nice to then have, you know, that that future goal, you know, in sight and working towards it. I love it. I absolutely love it. And you know what? That actually tied in with the next thing I wanted to bring up because you give us some tangible examples of what a plan might look like. So donating X amount to charity, having X amount of money within X amount of time. Are those two common ones? Are those the most common ones? What what does a plan look like in more detail? Okay, so yeah, financial planning is is a is a sort of it can mean different things to different people. But essentially, like the example that I give, usually I draw this out, but obviously being a podcast, it's not gonna but if you imagine we've all got a bucket. Okay, so James, you've got a bucket, I've got a bucket, but if we talk about your bucket, inside your bucket at the moment you're going to have assets that if I asked you, listen, get ha- get your hands on some money, you could turn to your bucket because it's pretty liquid. So you might have some cash. You might have some stocks and shares in ISAs. You may have some crypto, for example, um, and you would be able to cash that in within, sh- within a short period of time. So that's you've got assets inside your bucket. But then you might also have assets that are outside of your bucket, for example, property. Now, property's outside of your bucket because you suddenly can't sell a couple of bricks to go on holiday to the Bahamas. Yeah. So you've got an asset and you've got a buy to let property, maybe again, outside of your bucket because you can't access it. Um, you'll then have potentially, you know, pension pots, which are outside of your bucket. Again, you can't get hold of that money at the moment until a later point in time. And then you've got your business. Now, that could be your biggest asset. But again, until you sell it in the future, it's an asset that's kind of outside your bucket. Now, what financial planning does is it then looks at what you've got, assets, what you've got inside your bucket, outside your bucket, and then you've got inflows. So you might be earning income. So you might be taking salary and dividends. You may receive child benefit. You might be receiving rental income. So your your bucket's filling up all the time, which is fantastic. But then at the bottom, we've all got these taps, okay, which is leaking money out of our bucket. So, you know, the biggest tap at the moment is your current lifestyle. So, you know, for me, it's taking care of my family, paying the mortgage, going on the odd holiday, you know, food, water, electricity, um, 
charitable donations, playing football, going to support Crystal Palace and, and, you know, watching the odd game. And that's my lifestyle. And then at some point in the future, that tap's going to turn off. And when the kids have buggered off and it's just me and my wife, we might want to do some more extravagant things, you know, with the time that we've got. And so we'll have a sort of a, a retirement tap, which will then be more money that we want to spend, um, more holidays, more charity, more things for our legacies, you know, whatever it is that we want to do. But then that will turn off and then it will be our later life tap that turns on. And we're not going to be doing a lot later on in life because we're probably going to be too old to travel and it will be sort of, you know, fairly soon before we kick the back. Um, you know, financial planning is helping a client look at their bucket and be able to answer the really important questions around, well, what's happening with this bucket year on year and making sure that your bucket doesn't run out because if it runs out, that means you've got to turn off the taps completely and there's no lifestyle. But also you don't want to die with too much in your bucket because if you do, after all the years of playing, paying all the taxes that we do in this country, the, the biggest tax of them all, which is inheritance tax, might be there to sting you know, your loved ones at 40%. So dying with too much is an issue. So managing all of your assets, how to live a lifestyle that is in line with your values and that's going to make you the happiest person, but also doing it tax efficiently in a way that's going to provide you with the money that you need later on in life. And also making sure that if God forbid anything happened to you and you died or you're sick or you can't work, that's what financial planning is. So having a financial plan is actually aligning your bucket to what you want to achieve. And that's an ongoing process because all of those little parts that I've just explained are moving all the time. The inflows are changing. The asset values are changing. The legislation around the tax efficiency of all of the bits within your bucket are changing. What you spend is changing as well. So this is like a moving jigsaw piece. And that's why people do need advice at some point in their life, because it's just like, well, what the hell is going on with my bucket? And hopefully you're doing the right and sensible things to make sure that, you know, you can live the lifestyle that you want and you don't run out of money. I love the bucket analogy. I love the bucket analogy because it makes it super tangible and understandable. And I love the taps at the bottom as well, because it's really easy to visualize the water going in and the water coming out. And also key thing to understand is that there is such a thing as having too much water in your bucket as well, because then, so to speak, it overflows and you get stung by tax, inheritance, inheritance tax. There we go. But, and I should have just mentioned, but worse than that, uh, James, is that, you know, if you died with too much money in your bucket, you've got to look back and think, what the hell did I miss out on? What did I not do? Who did I not help? You're just unfulfilled. You just, you were put on this earth and you, you could have done something grand because you were one of the blessed ones with a bucket that was like overfilling and you've gone to your grave and you've left it for people, which is, which is fine. But do you know what? It's so much better to use it in your lifetime and, and see the fruits of your labor rather than die with too much. And I see this all the time. I see people that have come up from a generation that have seen, you know, war and you know poverty and had real hard graft because they haven't grown up in the sort of the tech boom that we have where we've had kind of everything 
you know, at an instant, they've had to really, you know, graft for stuff. And it's really hard for them to, to now spend the money because they were so used to not spending and just being savers. Whereas, you know, our generation are a bit the opposite or, you know, the, the millennial, you know, Gen X and what have you coming up. I'm, I think I'm a millennial, but yeah, you know, and it's almost like slightly different with them. And I, I see clients now with so much money that are fearful to spend because, and I'm like, do you know what? Look, we're doing your planning. I'm looking at your bucket. You know, even if you turn these taps way up and you spent a, a hell of a lot of money, you're still not running out. Yeah. Because, you know, we can do all the maths and the modeling and, and, and all of that analysis. But again, you know, it's how you're brought up. You know, money is just an emotional thing. So, it, you know, and, and the quite interesting because, you know, people make some really rash decisions when it comes to their money, you know. And um, yeah, and that's why, you know, sometimes, you know, good financial advice and financial planning is is worth its weight in gold because it sometimes gets you to where you wouldn't be able to get to on your own. And you know what? That ties in really in- interestingly, Shabar, with a book that I read not terribly long ago called The Psychology of Money. And it highlighted the fact that he- have you have you read it? I see a smile. With your face. Oh, mate, it's, it's a it's a classic. It's an absolute gem. Loved it. And by the way, they must have updated it recently because it talked about coronavirus in it. So they must it must be a, like a new edition or something that I read. Anyway, so in that book, you've actually somewhat touched upon this already. It points out that each one of us will never be able to fully empathize with someone else's vision on money, someone else's perspective on money. And that's because we haven't lived their life. So you might know someone, you might have a close friend and you might say, God, aren't they tight fisted? They wouldn't spend at Christmas. But in reality, you can never compare your life to theirs because they might have grown up in abject poverty and they might look at Mm. you and they might say, how frivolous is that person with their money? But they'll not be able to truly see things from your perspective because money for you as a young person, as a younger person, or when you were growing up may have been something that was more transient or may have been something that you came across easily. It's a mindset thing. And that is something that we don't attribute necessarily to money because we tend to think of it as a cold hard statistic but this is something worth talking about and pointing it out and perhaps you mightn't recognize it until you speak to someone else i love the philosophy of the money i think it's i think it's absolutely fascinating anything you'd like to chuck on top of that no mate we all have our own money story you know i've got mine you know i went you know years of thinking especially with religion as well so you you chuck in sort of your money story from your cultural background then your religious beliefs and money just becomes this whole toxic little ball of mess that you just have to spend a lot of time unpackaging because otherwise you do jump on on one of the two extremes which is either that constant search for something new and shiny potentially to to almost you know, fill a void or, or something like that. Or, you know, you, you you don't spend and money doesn't bring you any happiness when, you know, when you look at it, money is love and energy because, you know, when you spend money, generally, you know, if I'm spending it on my family, I'm I'm kind of displaying love. I'm, I'm, I'm providing for them. I'm doing good. You know, if it's for charity as well, if it's for myself as well, it's self-love, it's self-care, you know, if I, you know, treat myself to something you know there's nothing wrong with that and and again you know money is kind of energy because we go to work and all that money represents is that the, the you know 
the energy that we've expended in our work, we get rewarded for that energy, you know, in, in the form of a currency. So it's kind of like stored energy that we then, you know, transfer to each other. So that's capital is know, stored labor. Capital capital yeah. is stored labor is another way of putting that. Yeah. So again, so you know, we're looking at we're, it's just how you look at it, and, and everyone's got their own different story. Yeah. And you know, my story was one where I witnessed, you know, my my parents were were well off, um, and they were doing really well, and then you know made you know financial mistakes and caused you know a lot of financial ruin and and heartache and you know i saw that and you know caused you know a real issue we lost our family home as a result of that and so that played a really big part in my own sort of view of money and kind of maybe just shun it away and you know no i don't want to don't want to deal with money i don't really want to look at it i think it's evil i think it's rotten it, it look, look what happened we you know all of this bad stuff and and that and that was just my own story because obviously in an experience that I'd had and now it's sort of like the flip because now what I do dealing with money on a daily basis in people's financial futures is that actually now my sort of mission and aim is to stop people from following in the same mistake you know that you know that happened to my to my parents as well so now I'm like I've used that story now to help me help other people not make sort of similar mistakes um so it's just weird the way it works right um and and it's often our own work that we need to do with that story oftentimes it's key seminal moments like that like that was one event that colored your perception of money for the rest of your life and there'll be Mm. others in the audience listening who think to themselves actually maybe i have this misconception of what money is because of one seminal moment that was perhaps very fortuitous or perhaps completely misfortune and it's an interesting way because if you can extract your perspective from that then at that point if you can truly emancipate yourself from that one feeling or that one event in your life that made you feel that way would you necessarily view money the same way so are you using that one event are you coloring your whole perception through this one event now i'm not saying that's right i'm not saying that's wrong all i'm saying is it's an interesting perspective right yeah no Absolutely. And that's the thing. There's, there can't be any judgment in this at all, because like you said, it's people's it's people's own story, but the story needs to be unpacked because sometimes it can be a damaging belief. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so interesting. And 110 percent, that's going to hit home with somebody listening tonight. We how are going to change gears slightly and talk Perfect. about something else also related to money. But I want to ask your perspective on it, Shabar. Risk, risk versus reward. That's the unending seesaw or balance that we must understand to grow our mm-hmm. money, but also not over leverage ourselves. Yeah. Where okay. do you see risk fitting in in somebody's long-term financial planning? Do you think that it's reasonable to say for most people that they should be as risk averse as possible and invest in stocks, invest in their ISA, invest in bonds, have that steady eddy, high single digits, low double digits return every year? Mm. Or do you think it's worthwhile that everybody should allocate maybe 10, 20% of their capital to something more speculative in the hope, but not the guarantee that it may allow them to achieve financial freedom when they're a lot younger? So say, let's, let's put in the speculative bracket, let's put something in there like starting a business or let's put something in there like inventing in a venture capital trust or something like that. Where does that fit in 
Okay. So I think firstly, defining risk is is you you got to start with defining risk. Hard. Okay, because risk risk is different to different people. Now there's there's different flavors of risk. Okay. I don't like the conventional idea that stocks and shares are risky and you know this asset class is not risky, etc. Everything sits on a spectrum. There's no binary black or white. But the three, if anyone wants to take away something from this is just be aware of the three flavors of risk. And the, the way that I've sort of, I actually haven't come up with this myself, so I've, I've, I've nabbed it from someone else. Um, but the three flavors of risk are the most pervasive one. And the one that we need to worry about the most is what I'd call the ice one. Okay. Now the ice one if you've ever been to a fancy wedding is that beautiful swan made device in the middle and everyone comes in the morning and takes a picture with it. And it's just majestic. It's beautiful. But as the day goes on and the wedding gets into the afternoon, you'll suddenly start looking at the swan and thinking, crikey, that doesn't look as majestic and beautiful as it did in the morning. Right. Because obviously the heat means that the ice has started to melt and it's sort of dripped away. That's inflation, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Inflation is the silent killer of wealth. Because you don't notice it, just like you don't notice that, you know, minute by minute, that ice one is getting disfigured until it's like quite late on. And then you realize, holy crap, what's happened here? And it's the same with inflation, because inflation eats away at the purchasing power. You know, so we talked about money. You know, money is actually purchasing power because, you know, having £100,000 20 years ago and £100,000 today is completely different. You can't give yourself a pat on the back for still having £100,000 if you had it 20 years ago, because you, you, you're going to be buying half the stuff because of inflation. So our number one risk to our wealth is inflation. We've we got, we got a cotton onto that and people don't. And this whole idea of you know equities and bonds and you should have more bonds you know, as you go into retirement, et cetera. There's a lot of work to be done on that because there, there, there are a few myths around, you know, what's a bigger risk? Running out of money because you can't afford to live the lifestyle that you want because you've kind of just got the bonds like at 80% potentially. Well, fixed income means a fixed outcome. That's the, you know, that's the stark reality. So this whole idea that equities are risky, okay, we need to put that into perspective. So the first is inflation. The second is the turkey at Christmas. So the turkey on on its approach to Christmas is loving life, right? Because it's just riding high. It's getting fat. It's getting fed. It's thinking that this is just the best time ever. And then, boom, Christmas comes, lights out to the slaughterhouse. What happened? It got, you know, destruction, annihilated. Now, that's the type of risk that we really need to be worried about. So that could be, you know, schemes, scams, you know, something new on the scene that we don't really know too much about, which is just like going really, really, really high, very, very quickly. Everyone piles in because of FOMO and human greed, et cetera. And it could be that that's lights out, complete loss of capital. That is the, that is a, that is a very, very important risk to be aware of. So we've got to be aware of complete loss of capital because like the Turkey, there's no coming back. Then the third risk which we associate with the stock market is volatility. So volatility is 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 the roller coaster. It you know it's up and down. It could be scary or fun depending on you know your outlook. But at the end of the day, it's always better to be strapped in. And and that's anything that's volatile 
you've got to stay strapped in because the premium, the return you get is the volatility. That's the price you pay. Yeah. So if you want a high return, generally, you've got to accept volatility. You've got to accept ups and downs. And the more ups and downs, the more of the, the, the more the reward. That's the, you know, otherwise it wouldn't make sense, right? You couldn't have, you know, a high return with low volatility because the you you don't get rewarded for that. You know, so those are the three types of risk. And once you've started to acknowledge that, then you can start to build into your portfolio, right? Okay, what am I now looking at? But again, it's got to be, you know, the aim has got to be on the prize. And what's the prize? Right. I need X, Y, Z at a certain point in time to make sure that I've got the life that I truly desire. Now, if that involves, you know, keeping it in a 50-50 bond equity portfolio, if that means opening a business, if that means, you know, investing in something a bit more speculative, that's the discussion that you need to have with your investment advisor or your financial planner or whoever that is, so that you're aware of what risk, and I'm putting risk in inverted commas, you need to take. Because me outperforming you, James, is a nonsense. Because we could sit there and say, well, if I got 10% return and you got 8% return, yeah, oh, I've made the better investment <clears throat> because I've got a greater return. But if I run out of money at the age of 70 and you run out of the money at the age of 75, well, what does it really matter whether I got 10% and you got 8%? We're both broke because we haven't invested in, a, in, a, in accordance with what was going to make sure we didn't run out of money. So I think that we need to reframe it in terms of, and I get it, people want to earn more money in a quicker space of time. Who doesn't? right? Everyone wants to earn more money and get more return in a short space of time because that's the human nature, right? But unfortunately, if you don't have your eye on what you're trying to achieve, then you're just going to be forever shooting at different things. I love the analogy, Shabar. There's about four or five in there and they're going to stay with me because you know what? You know the thing about stories, they stay in people's head and they're super tangible as well. So thank you for those. And there is 110% some powerful lessons in there, which will change everybody who's listening, their perspective on money going forwards. And thank you so much for articulating those very well today, Shabar. Shabar, we are coming up to the 40 minute mark. We're going to draw a line under proceedings very yeah, soon. Absolutely. Shabar, is there anything that you'd like to say in conclusion, just to wrap things up from what you were saying today? I mean, look, I know that, you you know, we were just talking about, you know, sort of constructing a portfolio and what that should look like, et cetera. And, and it's really a difficult question to answer. And I'd like to sort of give the, the magic formula, um, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of asset classes, you know, it's, I think it's just worth just sort of talking about these, you know, traditionally the main asset classes that have always delivered above inflation returns because that's the the risk that we want to make sure because we're maintaining our purchasing power uh businesses in bricks right and you know businesses great companies of the world you could call it the stock market whatever you want to however you want to dress it up but businesses have always been a great place to invest um because you get rising capital value and a rising income in the form of dividends so you get total return 
So that's always been a great place. Now, obviously, you don't invest in one or two companies because that means you could be lights out. That could be the turkey. But, you know, if you've invested in thousands of companies globally, you're, you know, you're, you're pretty you're, you're pretty well placed, you know, to, to, to make good returns. And history being our guide, that's been the case. And property, again, rising value, um, so capital growth and rising rental income. So those have been the, you know, again, total return, you know, demonstrated over, you know, hundreds of years. So those have been the sort of the two building blocks. Now you've got, you know, more speculative assets, you know, you've got commodities, you've got crypto, et cetera. And these are all sort of on the, on the edge in terms of providing, you know, returns, et cetera. And, and that's not something, for example, that I can sort of go into at the moment, but traditionally, you know, business and bricks have always been a, a, a very good growth asset for, for people. So I guess that you want to be thinking about, you know, okay, well, have I got those assets within my portfolio? And then it comes again, how are you holding them in terms of, you know, the wrappers? And I can't stress enough that for the majority of people, you know, ISAs and pensions are all that they need. You know, 95%, you know, within your ISA, you can put £20,000 a year. Within your pension, you can put £40,000 a year. They're, they're so tax efficient. I don't think there's many people that I come across that are actually putting away £60,000 a year. You know, once you've once you've got more than £60,000 to invest and put away, then you can start thinking of, you know, different other types of structures and wrappers, et cetera. But essentially, you know, those provide a very good stable bedrock for, for anyone trying to build wealth for the future. Pensions do come with obviously their restriction in terms of when you can take them, but they're so damn tax efficient, you know, there's such an uplift and the benefit of the tax-free growth and the inheritance tax benefits, et cetera, that, you know, I'm very passionate, especially for business owners um, as well. So I think, you know, people just to get a grip of, you know, what they've got, where they're headed is really important. And then, you know, not paying too much for your investments. Cost is one of the, one of the major drivers of returns and, and people, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, debate, active versus passive and you just need to go and read and read the academic stuff and even sort of like the journalistic stuff that there's an overwhelming evidence towards, you know, not overpaying for your investment solutions because that's going to be detrimental to your long-term growth as well. So I think that's really important, you know, as, as on your journey to being a, a disciplined investor um, and being a sensible investor is, you know, not giving into the noise and all of the, you know, the marketing and, and, and everything that's around us, it's always trying to pull us in a certain direction. Um, it's very counterintuitive when it comes to investing because in all walks of life, we're told that, you know, you pay more for more quality. When with investments, it's kind of the opposite. The less you pay, the more you get. Um, and that's very counterintuitive. So I think that's, that, you know, that's something important to, to bear in mind. 110%. This podcast has been full of gems. Shabar, thank you so much for your time. For anybody who is interested in reaching out to Shabar, Shabar is on the group. Shabar Kassam, feel free to reach out if anything that Shabar today said that you that you felt resonated with you and you would like to explore further with Shabar. The 110%, that's something that you can do if you find Shabar on the group. Cool. All right then. So I think that that brings us to a very nice conclusion as I said earlier, thank you so much for joining us today on the Dentsu Invest podcast, Shabar. Thank you so much for giving up your time, and I hope you have a tremendous Thursday. What's left of it? Cheers, James. Take care, buddy. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.